I don't know what Leslie said about me, but it's all true. <laughs> it is, and then some. Um, so excited to be here. Love coming to OCC. It's so fun to see you guys. You know, Laura and I have moved back. We are living at the beach, and so we've been able to come to some of the events, been able to spend some time with you guys at meals, and it's just, um, it feels like home, even though we've just gotten back. We've just started to come, and most of you, I don't know, and you don't know me, um, but that's okay, and uh, I'm just thankful to be here. I was uh, just, not just now going to the bathroom, before I went to the bathroom earlier, and uh and uh, I was just thinking um, just what a privilege it is to get to speak. When you're speaking all the time, when you're leading a church, you know, you forget the, um, I mean, you forget the stress, you forget, you know, everything that you go through when you're preparing a talk. And I looked in the mirror and I just, I just had the thought of like, I get to talk about Jesus today. I get to talk about Jesus. And so if you hear nothing else, just know that he is good. He is really good. And so, um, and that's really the focus of today's talk, is that he is so good that um, we have every reason to celebrate with all of who we are in every way, um, who he is and how he's impacted our life. And so, thanks for letting me be here. It's super humbling and it's, it's great. Um, now we're in a series, we are in a series, it's called Come and Listen to, and Derek said this the first week, Come and listen to what God has done for me. Come and listen to what God has done for you. And come and listen to what God has done for us, you know, as a body of believers. Um, and, you know, what has he done? And if I asked you, like, why did Jesus, what, what has Jesus done? You know, Derek talked about he is on a redemptive journey um, to rescue us, to seek and to save the lost. And we're all lost. We were lost whenever he found us the first time. And as we're beginning this journey and we've been, we've been found by him, we continue to find ourselves lost and wandering. And he comes after us again. And that's the redemptive journey, right? That Jesus, we are separated from God because of our brokenness. We are separated from God because of our sinfulness, our selfishness. And that Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty of our sins, which is death, so that we can be back in a right relationship with the Father, right? So that's, that's the gospel. That is what Jesus has come to do, is that he has come to save us. But that's only half the story, okay? You see, Jesus has come to save us from those things, from death, from eternal damnation, from our brokenness while we live on this earth, from our selfishness, from all those things, Okay? But he's also, the other part of it is he's also come to save us for something. He's, he's come to save us from something, but for the purpose of for something. And the for something is the peace that we often stumble on or that we are in the process of growing in, you know, living under his new rule and his reign, that he's come to save us from these things so that we can have new life. You know, the, uh, in John 10, 10, it's one of my favorite scriptures, Jesus says, you know, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you would have life to the full. We were once dead, we were once lost, and now we're found, but we've been found for new life, for new living. And in Scripture, and it doesn't talk about the kingdom of God a lot, and a lot of people don't talk about or preach on the kingdom of God because a lot of commentaries talk about the kingdom of God as something that's future state, like the kingdom's going to come. But Jesus talks mostly 
about the kingdom being here and now, that kingdom living is for here and now. That's what we've been saved for. We've been saved from the darkness. We've come into the light so that we would live in the light. And when we live in the light, we experience the blessings of God. When we live in a way that is different from the world, we experience life in a way that the world doesn't experience. I spoke to the youth about that, this idea. I talked about crap in my pants, diarrhea, white corduroys, and everything. If you're a parent, you probably heard about it. <laughs> it's my claim to fame as I enter back into teaching. And um, it's it a bunch of middle schoolers, and I was struggling to connect. I mean, struggling. You gotta talk about poop, right? Whenever you're talking to middle schoolers. It was perfect. I'm not gonna talk about poop now, even though I just did. But um, it was bad. White corduroys, poop, door that was locked, embarrassment, shame, all those things. But, um, but the, the, the context of the talks and the new series was about um, stranger things. I call it stranger danger day of. It was not good. It's called stranger things. And the premise of stranger things is that there are these two realities going on at the same time. There's what you see in the world, like that everyone sees, that everyone lives by, that everyone is functioning, operating under the principles of those things, and hey, this is life. And then there's this dark spiritual kingdom, you know, th there's another reality, okay? And in this reality, there is power, unlike the first world. In this reality, there are things that exist that don't exist in the seen world. Well, the kingdom of God is in the same way, but opposite. Instead of there being a kingdom of darkness, there's a kingdom of light, there's a kingdom of life, there's a kingdom of wholeness, there's a kingdom of beauty and power and joy and all these things that we get to experience if we choose to live in the redemptive salvation that Jesus has died to give us, that he has purchased us with a price, with the price of his life, so that we can experience this kingdom living, this kingdom joy, the kingdom fruit in our life, the kingdom blessings in our life. And so the work of the enemy as we follow Jesus, and if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what he's doing, is he wants you to choose to continue to live in the kingdom of the world, in the seen world, okay? In every way. And in the, the antithesis or the upside downness of this world is the kingdom of life, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And so if he can get us to live under the old, in, into this world, into the premises of this world, we will not experience the blessings that Jesus has died to give us. And when we don't experience the blessings that Jesus has died to give us, then the world doesn't get to see the beauty and the glory and the goodness of Christ because we aren't reflecting it. We are the image bearers of Christ is what is what the Bible says. We're God's plan A, which is terrifying in one sense, right? That we are like, hey, how is, how is the message, the greatest story in the world, the most powerful, the most amazing story going to be told for the rest of time? I know, I'll choose people. Bad, bad choice, God. I mean, seriously, he chose us knowing that as we experience his love, as we experience his life, we can't help but become undignified. We can't help but become crazy in our love for him and reflect it to the world. And if you've experienced his beauty and his love and his power and his miracles and his life, you know what I'm talking about. You know 
that when you come to church or you're out there, you know, you, you see someone out there and you share the gospel with them or you do something nice for them, you say, hey, I just feel like God wants to bless you, you know, and they're thankful or you get to pray for them, you're like, makes your day, right? Like, it is so encouraging. Or you come forward, you know, for prayer at the end of the service and you step out and you're taking a risk and God shows up and he meets you and he shares something with you about, that only he could know. And it touches your heart, it brings healing and wholeness, and you're like, that made my day. Like, that's incredible, that's powerful. I feel like, and know that God is with me. And so this is our experience, and God knew that this would be our experience. And so the enemy, even though he's lost the battle for your heart, for your soul, and salvation, he will continue. He will keep lying to you. He will keep whispering in your ear. He will keep doing all the things everything that he can do so that you will choose to not live in the kingdom of God, not operate in the kingdom of God. Now, in the kingdom of God, things are very different. Things are risky. Things are uncomfortable. Things require us to step out and do things that we don't see being done in the world. It's the opposite. So, things like, well, in the world, if someone wrongs you, what do you do? You seek revenge. In the kingdom of God, when someone wrongs you, you forgive, you turn the other cheek, you go the extra mile. In the world, whenever you want to feel secure, you save your money, right? In the kingdom of God, when you want to feel secure, you give not only your money away, but you give all of your life away. You give your time away, your resources away. You give everything away knowing that Jesus is everything that you need. And I could go on and on and tell you examples of what the kingdom of God is like versus the kingdom of the world. And again, the re and, and a lot of people, when they hear people teach about the kingdom of God and this kingdom living, they think these are a bunch of rules. No, they aren't a bunch of rules. They're a bunch of blessings waiting to happen. I just thought that up. I'm gonna write that down, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second, for real. Blessings waiting to happen. Gotta remember that for next, mm-hmm. I'll probably forget it, so you guys are lucky. All right. <laughs> there are blessings waiting to happen. If Jesus is the author and creator of life, think about that. If he's the author and the creator of life, nobody but Jesus knows how life should be lived, knows how a life will be joyful and happy. Knows, no one knows that. And so he's created these opportunities, he teaches us, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it's like. And if you live like the kingdom of God, and this is in the Beatitudes, this is where he teaches about this, one of the primary best sermons in the world besides this one. And, and so <laughs> in, in the kingdom, he, he, he shows us, these, he's teaching us these things because he knows as the author of life that when we follow him, when we obey him, we will experience the best life possible. We'll experience the best life possible. Again, it's hard to find a Christian. I've never met one. They're like, yeah, I became a Christian. I began to follow Jesus and my life just tanked. I mean, I was up here, followed Jesus and pew, misery for the rest of my life. Like that just doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that you won't have hardship. It doesn't mean that you won't suffer. But, but I've never met anyone who's just like, yeah, worst decision of my life. The whole Jesus thing, worst decision in my life. Don't do it, it's a waste of time. Not if you're really seeking to follow Jesus. It's the difference between 
just saying that you follow Jesus and following Jesus. I quit using the language that I'm a Christian because Jesus lives in my heart. A is in heaven, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's a whole nother talk. But it's not about what you believe. It's about how that belief works itself out in your life. Do you really believe, really believe, which in Greek is an action verb. It's not a mental, like, I think this. It is something that takes action. Do I really believe that Jesus has saved me and has for me a better life, this kingdom living? Because if I do, then I'm going to pursue that. And the, and, and if I, the, great, and the greater the, I, I pursue that or the more passionate I am about that, the more I work towards that, the more I've experienced God's love and allow that to manifest in my life, the greater blessing we have in life. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you follow these things, God will love you, okay? That's not. We're saved by grace, by faith alone, okay? So it's by grace that we come into the kingdom because of God choosing us and loving us and bringing us in. But you will experience more of God's love when you choose to live under the principles of the kingdom. Do you see the difference? Does that make sense? This is a biggie. This is important. Because I don't want you to leave here when, we, when I get ready to teach this and go think, I need to go do this. I need to go work harder at this. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, go to Jesus who saved you and is saving you and is finding you, who found you and is finding you every day. When we come to Jesus, we experience his love, his power, and his grace in our life. It will naturally manifest when we yield to him and that truth in our life. Okay, it's why we have prayer ministry at the end of church, right? So you don't leave and go do anything. You leave and come. You come forward to experience the love of Christ first. You come to experience the healing, the power of Christ first so that you can then bring that to the world. And so whenever we do these things, when we choose to live under the kingdom, we become kingdom builders. And kingdom builders are, bring, are people who bring people into the presence of God to worship him, to know him, to see him, and to glorify him. That is our purpose, is to, with Jesus and the power of Jesus in us, to bring people to the Father, to experience his love. Okay, so and it's a journey. It's a journey. It's, it's what's called sanctification, which is the journey of us becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we become more and more like Jesus, we act more and more like Jesus. And when we act more and more like Jesus, then people see Jesus in us, and they're like, oh, and then they come to Jesus. Okay, so that's the journey that we're all on. And so again, like, I'm going to use some extreme examples today because we're going to talk about David being naked, which is extreme, right? But he's really not naked. People say that, but he's not naked, okay? Thank goodness, because I'm going to strip down to my loincloth here and demonstrate David's dance. And so I'm glad he's not naked, because that's just, well, you know, I definitely get banned. People always tell me when I speak at OCC, you're going to get banned. I don't know what that means. I haven't been banned yet, but if I did that, I'd probably get banned, for real. Okay? Um. You know, before, uh, this, I'm going to talk about the story. It's a, ne- it's a story in First Chronicles about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant in when he's dancing. His wife's like, yo, why are you embarrassing us? Like, why are you looking like a fool? And David's like, you, you ain't seen nothing yet, sister. Like, it's going to get cray-cray up in here, right? <laughs> and so that's the story I'm going to use. And again, th- we all are on this journey into a different place. I remember when I started leading River City Church, we... Um, 
you know, there are people on our staff that had been, that were further along than me with the whole, like, worshiping thing and, like, raising your hand thing and the things that we do in worship. I love being RC, I mean, OCC because people, like, yelling and going for it and saying things. I'm like, I love this. This is great. Like, it pulls me along with them. Um, and uh, I remember when I first started going, I was just like, you know, like, okay, here we go. Raising a hand. It's the first move. That's the first step. And then it's like two hands, and then you get to, you know, kind of moving and stuff. You've been walking around. And then, and then the next step is, like, the dance. Like, for me, it's the awkward white man dance. It's the same dance I do on the dance floor. It's the same move I, moves I do in church. Laura calls it the swimming. She's like, you're swimming. You're up there dancing, like, swimming around, or, you know, whatever. Now, I'm much better at it at the dance club only because I think I am. I had a few beers or something. I'm like, I'm rocking this. I'm amazing. In church, you don't feel like that. When you're up front and you start doing the swimming dance and nobody else is doing it, it's awkward. <laughs> because you know people are looking at you and you're making them uncomfortable. And then they're just like, he can't dance. Like, I'm glad the Lord loves his dancing because nobody else in the room does. But, um, but I remember that God, he kind of bring, he kept bringing me to a point where he's just like, are you going to, are, are you going to? Are you going to go? Are you going to go? Are you going to go, Antley? Are you going to experience more? Are you going to risk? Are you going to go for it? This is what your heart feels. This is what I'm wanting to do for you, unleashing you. Are you going to take the next step? And so that's kind of my challenge today for all of us is, are you willing to take the next step? Whatever that step is for you. And it'll be different for all of us. But the invitation from God is the next step. Okay, and so we're going to read this about David and uh, again, it's an example that reflects the rest of our life. So David, we see this example and this demonstration of him just going for it because of his love for the Lord and the understanding that the, of the love that the Lord has for him and the, and the anointing that God has given him, okay? But worship is all of our life. So even though we're talking about the act of worship that happens with music, the way you spend money is worship. The way that you serve people is worship. The way that you deny yourself for the sake of others is worship. Whenever you turn the other cheek, that's worship. So all of those things are worship. And so we can apply these principles that we're going to talk about to every area of our life. So when we talk about the next step, it's not the next step in church that's most important. It's the next step that you take when you leave church that builds the kingdom of God. In church, we get filled up to experience the kingdom of God and the blessings of God so that we will take that out into the world. And so this example applies to all areas of our life. And this is scripture reading. This is 2 Samuel 16. Instead of Chronicles, it's kind of more descriptive. It's a parallel passage. And, and Derek did it the first week, so I get to do it the third. Okay, so this is 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 22. And it says this. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed, and everything has become, <laughs> and everything has because of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark, wait, because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed the bull and a fattened calf. All through this and I'm not going to teach you on all this, you'll see parallels, okay, like between Jesus, 
or the New Testament and what's happening in the Old Testament. So here they're worshiping. They've been away from God. They're coming back. They're bringing him back in this presence, and they killed a fattened calf. Where does that happen? It happens in the New Testament whenever the son returns to the father in his love. You see, we see in Genesis that they were naked and unashamed. Sin came into the world. And this example of David dancing and his ephod, his loincloth, is the closest representation we have in all of Scripture to this, this covenant being ushered in, this new life being ushered, this new season in the Scripture. And where do we see it again? When Jesus is on the cross in an ephod, dying for the sins of the world, fully restoring, getting and abolishing shame forever so that we can have life with the Father. Okay, and so throughout this, one of the things that you should do when you're reading the Old Testament is ask, where is Jesus in the story? Where am I in the story? What's God doing? But where is Jesus in the story? And so as we read this, just know, don't pay attention to that now because I want you to listen to me and the points I have. But just know that when you're reading the Old Testament, okay? So it says this, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. I thought about that. Like when we were worshiping today, like y'all are shouting and going for it. I was like, this is what it was like. This is what it was like. People were going for it, right? So that's what's happening. As the ark of the Lord entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and that's David's wife. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. We're gonna talk about that, okay? Uh, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent, or tabernacle is the word, um, that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of, of, of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes blessed. Okay, so again, we're seeing this model begin happening. Whenever David's worshiping, he's stepping out, he's experiencing the blessing of God. The people of Israel, all the, these were thousands of people, okay? Men and women are experiencing the blessing of that and this offering that David now is giving from the Lord to them. Okay, when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out, his wife, to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today right? Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. All right, so David comes home. He's fired up. You know, he's thinking like, look at what God's done or whatever. And the wife's just sitting at the door like, uh-uh. No, you didn't. No, uh-uh. You just embarrassed me. You embarrassed our family. You did all this stuff. What were you thinking? You were a vulgar man today. And just kind of, you know, craps on his rainbow. Okay, anyway. So when David, ret- okay, is, can I say that? Is that okay? Did I just get banned? <laughs> I just got banned. They're stuck with me one more service. Okay, David said to McCall, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. This is awesome. This is awesome. David's like, yo, let me tell you about why I'm worshiping like this. Jealous woman. David said to McCall, is before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from your family. He chose me, so back down. He chose me above your father. He chose me above anyone in your family. 
When he appointed me to rule over the people of Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But of these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Okay, first point. Why was David dancing? Why was he dancing with all of his might? And why should we be dancing like David? Okay, well, it says this. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent. Again, tabernacle, which means dwelling place of God, where God would dwell with men and women, where God would come and dwell with the nation of Israel. It's where his presence was. It's where the power was. It's where people experienced worship and the love of God at the time, okay? And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. So why is David dancing like that, right? David is ushering the ark in, back into Jerusalem, okay? And, and in doing this, and we know this from the scripture, what it just said, is that David realizes he is the king. God has made me king. I was a flipping shepherd boy, right? Chasing wolves off in the middle of nowhere. I was the least of everybody in my family. And God chose me. God chose me to slay hundreds of thousands of people. God chose me to do these things. I can't believe it. He must see something in me that I don't see in myself. He, he values me in a way that I've never valued myself. There, he has something special for me to do. I am special. And so David, understanding these truths about who he is and who God is and who God made him to be, is just going for it. He is just dancing and praising and loving the Lord with all that he is because he realizes all that he is is because of the love that God has for him, the trust that God has given him. You know, it says that David was after God's heart. And David, David, that's what made David different. That's what made David different. And so as David's ushering the tabernacle, that's like the confirmation that he's king, like God's presence is with him. God's blessings are with him. Now, here's what's cool. is that in the New Testament, there's language that talks about Jesus coming to tabernacle with us. It uses the same language of the tabernacle, the place in the presence of God where he, meet, where he meets the people of Israel is that God, Jesus come and he, he meets us. He comes to live in us. David's through the power of the Holy Spirit. He dies, he comes to live in us, so that we will become aware of who we are, the amazing blessing that we are, that we are worth dying for, that the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who holds everything together, died so that we could have life, so that we could become who he's created us to be. And, and that happens by him coming inside of us to tabernacle with us. And so scripture says that, God, that David was after God's heart. I will tell you this, and this is a biblical fact that will be hard to believe, that because of the Holy Spirit living in you, you are so much further ahead than David ever was. David experienced the power of the Spirit come on him to conquer nations, come on him to lead the nations, come on him at times, and the prophets did the same thing to prophesy and stuff, to experience it, to move things forward. But you have the Holy Spirit living in you constantly in tabernacle with him. Not every once in a while going to see the tabernacle, going to hang out with God, going to experience these things, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so 
whenever we begin to experience that and live out of that and experience these blessings, again, it's like God invites us into, what's the next step? Do you want more? You can trust me. You have everything. You have me with you. You should be dancing. We should be, we should be the most celebratory group of everybody in the world. We should be the greatest party throwers of everyone in the world. The greatest, most fun, incredible, handsome looking people in all of the world. I know, attractive, not available. I use that every time I speak, every time. Okay, anyway. Okay, so that's point one, that you have been chosen like David was chosen to rule and reign and have dominion over God's creation to bring him and make him beautiful to the world. It says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 16. It says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are his temple. God's temple is sacred. You are sacred. You are holy. You are unlike anything in his creation. You are the pinnacle of his creation. And when we really embrace and understand that, and we begin to live out of that, we become undignified. We take the next step, and people take notice. Okay, point two. You're going to be judged when you start doing this. People are going to point at you. They're going to laugh at you. Things are going to happen, right? And we see that. David returned to his home full of joy and of, of achievement, and shared the excitement with his wife of God's future blessings, only to be greeted by his wife. Her sarcasm, how the king of Israel, she's embarrassed. I saw you down there dancing like a fool. And are condemning him. You know, David's wife didn't like this image. David's wife didn't like the dancing king. She liked the king who slayed over 200 Philistines to earn her hand in marriage. She liked the warrior. She liked the strong king. She liked the strength and the idea of the power she would have with David's power, right? And David's like, no, 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 no. That's not who I am. That's not who God is. God has called me into his family so that I will represent to the nation of Israel the importance of stepping out and living in risk and leading the nation in a way that causes them to be undignified as well. And so when you step out and you take the next step, you're gonna make people uncomfortable. When I was dancing, I'd be making people uncomfortable, right? Whenever you dance with the Lord and you take the next step in life, and you risk, and you go beyond yourself, and you do things that the world looks as crazy, they are going to point to you as crazy. They are going to judge you. Not only the world, but other Christians will. Why? Because you're making them uncomfortable. You're calling them to something greater. And they, in Christianity in the Western church, we are most comfortable with the power that Christianity brings, or that we get to lead, or that we get to show people you know, or judge people or, or, or have things in our, or I don't even know. But, I mean, I'm kind of lost right now. But, you know, we, we, like the, we like Christianity to be shaped in our image the way that we want. And that's why it's so important that we have the Spirit in us because he's the one that's leading us. And when you start to do craziness, 
People don't like it. The church doesn't like it. You know, Derek and I laugh about all the people that come and make fun of us about prayer ministries. Like, yeah, someone came up to me the other day. They're like, you know, I'm going to come to the church. This is all right, but I'm not going to come forward and do that magic stuff. Well, I'm not doing the magic stuff. Why? Because he wants control. He wants control. He's unwilling to yield fully to all that God has to offer. Now, if you're out there thinking like, I don't ever go to prayer ministry, but I don't feel like that. That's okay. I'm just using that as an example, okay? We're all on a journey. And for you, the first step might be to sit in your seat today and just be open to what the Lord has for you. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and see what he does and what he says. But for some of you, it might be to come forward today. Point three is this. It's about humility. When it says, David said, I will become more undignified. I will not allow what others think of me to determine how I reflect my love for the Lord. I will not allow my position as king to determine how I worship the Lord. I will worship the Lord with all of me. And so David, in stripping himself of the kingly robes that he had, putting himself in common folk wear, underwear. He's wearing his underwear, right? And he's dancing before the Lord, not as a king, but as somebody who is a lover of God. Someone who's saying, this is how much I love God. It's not about my power. It's not about my, my position. It's about the Father's love for me. God's love for me, the position he's called me to, that he sees me as special, and that he's chosen me to do this. It's not about the position. It's about my love for him. And whenever he says that he will become more undignified, you're like, how, how much more, David? R really? Like, Seriously, like you can't get more undignified when it comes to worship than that. But what that word means in Hebrew is to be made low, to be made low, okay? Humility, to humble himself. And so Jesus, I mean, uh, David stripped himself as a symbolic act of humbling himself, going as far down as he can, stripping off everything that he possibly can. And humility to lead the nation of Israel in worship to lead them, to show them this is what it's like. This is what God's calling us into. This is how special we are as a nation, as a people. We are unlike anybody else. You are unlike anybody else. And so it says that David humbled himself for the people. David humbled himself, became lowly, and he says, and I will continue to become low. You think this is low? Like I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm going to strip myself of whatever I can to make sure that you see this and that you too will experience the worship of God in the way that I do. You see, David, David stripped down in the humility that he did because of his love for God. Jesus stripped down and was on a cross and was humiliated more than anyone that we could ever imagine. The worst public death, and he may have been naked actually, stripped down because of his love for you to remove the shame, to remove the embarrassment, to remove the brokenness. And so for me, I can say that one of the things that draws me into the place of awkwardness is knowing that I will never be humiliated as much as I humiliated Jesus. I will never hurt someone the way that I hurt Jesus. 
I will never be embarrassed the way that Jesus was embarrassed for me, for you. Um, like I said, this is a journey, and all of us are on a different journey. Right, I wrote something here. And it requires us to step out. John Wimber is one of the people that kind of spoke a lot to me when we were beginning to do the church. He says, you know, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And, um, and for all of us, that looks different. And for me, when I began to lead River City Church, um, it meant God calling me to that place continually of me needing to do the next thing, whatever that was. I always told people, like, every day is a new day at work when you start a church. Every day for Derek, he comes, like, every day is a new day. He doesn't know what's going to happen. There's no blueprint. He shows up and he does the best that he can to follow God, to be undignified, to serve you, to humble himself, as all the staff do. But um, for me, the backstory of how God leveraged my life was that I grew up and had situations in my life of brokenness, of abuse, of things that at a point in my life disconnected me emotionally from God. I couldn't feel any emotion with my relationship with God and really struggled to experience emotion um, with anybody, including my kids. And I just, I knew that something was wrong and I, I couldn't put a finger on it. And my boss at the time, I was working for Young Life, he's, he, he's like, you need to go and work this out. And so I started going to counseling and through counseling and therapy and I began to feel again. And I learned that, you know, when you turn one emotion off, they all kind of go, is what they, is what they told me. And, uh, and so when I began to feel again, I began to cry all the time, right? And there were so many instances where God would bring me to the point where I was experiencing and feeling his love for me. And I could, I could feel that I was beginning to have an emotional response, which would be the equivalent of me dancing in church. Of me have, and for me, it was an overwhelming cry, usually, an embarrassing cry or something as I began to feel again. But in every one of those instances, I always had the opportunity to shut it off. I always had the opportunity to shut it down. And God will give you the same opportunity as he brings you to the place of risk, of vulnerability, of humbling your, yourself, of choosing to do for others what they need that they can't do. And there was a healing service where this kind of, this is one of the most extreme examples where I did not have an emotional experience yeah, it was, but it wasn't a crying one. We were having a healing service and a guy came in with ALS, right, in a wheelchair. You see someone like that come to the healing service, you know that they've been prayed for a million times and you're like, is this going to be another disappointing night for this person, right? And so we're praying for him and other people. We ended up ministering to the, his wife and all these things. And this, this fellow was pretty far along. He didn't have a lot of mobility. He couldn't stand, he couldn't do anything. And uh, we were getting ready to close the night down. And, uh, and someone, one of my staff came up to me and they said, Antley, I, I had a picture of you picking this guy up and holding him and everyone praying for him and that he would be healed. And I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. But again, that's God bringing me right here to the edge. And he's, and he's asking me, Antley, are you going to lead this church forward? Are you going to do, this guy might be healed. Are you willing to humble yourself, to embarrass yourself, 
for the sake of my glory? Do you really believe that my kingdom is alive, that I can heal him? And so I remember like picking him up. I didn't pick him up like a baby like this, but he was sitting in the chair in front of me and I, I, held, I went and I grabbed him under the arms and I, I held him up and, he had, I, and I remember looking at him and just thinking like, this is about, this is about God in me being revealed to somebody that has lost hope, that had prayers and was not healed. And he wasn't healed that night. You know, he didn't experience what I wanted him to. He didn't experience what his wife wanted him to, and he certainly didn't experience what he wanted to. But I experienced what God wanted me to. I experienced the life. I experienced the blessing. I experienced the joy just because I, I took the step. I never would have if it wasn't if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit prompting me and then inviting me into that. Here's reality, folks, is the world needs propping up. The world needs holding up. And you're his plan A. He's calling you to take the risk. Are you willing to be undignified? Are you, are you willing to take the next step? because the world needs it. People need it out there. I know I certainly do. I know my kids do. I know that my friends do. And I bet every one of you has a friend that you know needs propping up, needs holding up before the Lord so that they can experience his blessings and they can come into his kingdom.